This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Practical for Your Practice. I'm Andy Santanello. Hello, Jenna. Hello, Andy. Good to be here as always. Hello, Kevin. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you today? I'm hanging in there. I'm excited to talk about this today. Yeah, me too. And I'm also excited that we have somehow managed to coax our dear friend and colleague, Corinne Lefkowitz, to come back. <laughs> hello, Corinne. Well, hello. I'm very happy and flattered to be back for a second round. Um, flattered. Flattered. Um, so we're here today to talk about living our best second life. Uh, and as some of you who are listening to the podcast may already know, the Center for Deployment Psychology has been conducting uh, training and evidence-based psychotherapy in second life for a number of years now. We've also got a couple of other training assets available. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about how those things came to be and how they might be of use to you in your practice. So Kevin. Yes. How did we even get to this place where we were considering Second Life as being a way to train people? Gosh, that's a great question. I'm trying to think back to all the story and how it got there. I think maybe maybe it would be worth kind of bringing up to speed maybe some of our listeners who have no idea what Second Life is, um, first of all. So um, so Second Life is a, it's referred to as a virtual world. It's a, a platform basically online, a 3D simulated virtual environment. Um, and I call it a platform because everything that's built inside of this space, if you will, this platform is kind of user generated. So you know, you're creating environments and experiences. You're represented in the space as an avatar. You can interact with the environment with other people. And so it's like a shared virtual environment. Um, you access it through your computer. Um, if you're really fancy, you could have like some of those virtual reality goggles and, and other extra accoutrements. I don't know. Lightsabers, maybe. Right. You know, something like that. But uh, in general, it's, it's, think of like Ready Player One, though not quite as sophisticated yet, but, you know, kind of inhabiting this virtual space with other people in a simulated environment. It sounds really, I don't know, out there, perhaps a kind of um, maybe even gamey. <laughs> Is that the right use of that word? Um, but it, in many ways, it, you know, it, it kind of gives us many uh, affordances, I think is the word we've used before that we can leverage that um, are not available in other types of, of training. So, um, so again, you know, kind of think of like a first person perspective video game, um, but being used for educational purposes uh, is what we're, we're kind of talking about here. So back before, before I was ever at CDP, I've been with CDP almost 10 years now. Um, and before that I worked uh, for the national center for telehealth and technology and I was on a team where we were supposed to be exploring innovative technologies, kind of things out on the edge of, of technology and how that might be applied to um, kind of extending access to services and improving uh, patient services in the military for, for behavioral health. 
And I, my boss came to me one night and he said, Hey, um, I'm going to give you two choices on projects. You can either, um, organize a suicide prevention conference, or you can explore second life. I was like, well, that's a no brainer. That's <laughs> suicide conference. Of course. No, I, uh, I went for the video game and a little and really, background on Kevin. He, he, right. is, he is, you need to understand the, the dorkdom that he comes with, which we love oh, him proudly. For, yeah, yeah. Proudly. I will claim that and own that. Um, and so really my, my job for a while looked like I was sitting playing video games all day and people would comment about how I seem to actually like my job. And, you know, that's something we all aspire to. Right. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, we, we'd explored some applications back then, but when I came to CDP, it was, was another wonderful opportunity to actually kind of apply this to, um, the, the ends of, of training behavioral health providers and, and kind of extending or disseminating the science of, of evidence-based practice. So. That's the background. When, once at CDP, then we got, I, I think we, I'm trying to think of all the things we had to do. Cause it, you know, it's not just, you show up one day and say, Hey, you want to fund a project where we build a video game for psychologists. Right. And uh, you know, so there was a, a bit of, of uh, pitching ideas and, and thinking about how, you know, doing education in a virtual environment would be beneficial or helpful or keep people engaged or, you know, all that. And we got the go ahead from our, our uh, funders and our, our leadership to kind of try it out, build a, a space where we could do live instructor led training workshops. Um, and, and from there, it was just, it, it kind of caught fire. Like people kind of got the idea, got excited about it. We, we, explored other ways of using this space, but it all started off with um, kind of doing it, our, our regular workshops, our regular training workshops on the computer in a virtual space, seemingly in a video game and people having fun. So, And uh, I know Jenna, you and Corinne have done a lot of training in Second Life. So I'd be curious, and you've also done a lot of training in Zoom now because of, you know, COVID and also in person. And I was just curious, what what's your experience been of doing training in Second Life? What are some of the unique things about it that maybe you like? Well, and I'm going to out myself that I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum from, from <laughs> Kevin in terms of I, I love technology, but I'm not as proficient with it. I don't have the ease and the the sort of outside interest. Um, and, I, and I've loved the experience because I think it really brings... Um, some behavioral elements to the training, like people actually feel like they're in an auditorium. They feel like they're in, um, they have, they, they exhibit behaviors more similar to in-person trainings, which I find interesting. Um, and I think, uh, you know, just the ability to, for, for me as a trainer to stand on this little avatar, or, you know, on this little virtual stage with my avatar and see people in the audience sitting there interacting uh, and, and using the chat really well. Uh, it has been great. And I think it sort of that experience led us to think about, well, like, what else can we do with this? How, how could we enhance learning even more? We get you, you know, two days in a workshop, but, but how do we use this space more effectively to really reinforce some aspects of our training? But I'll let Corinne say what she likes. Well, thanks. I mean, I feel very similar to you, Jenna, that I'm nowhere near as technologic, technologically proficient. I can't even say Kevin the word. Andy, so, right? I don't know. even know how to <laughs> spell it. Technologically, um, I think that, that's techie. how you say it. I'm not as techie as Kevin and Andy. And really, prior to coming to CDP, my only knowledge of Second Life was that episode from The Office, which I feel like, come on, you have to remember the episode of oh, yeah. Jim and uh, Dwight. 
um, is that his name? Dwight in yeah, right. Second Life, right? <laughs> so like, as far as I knew, you could just be like, you know, having a fantasy life in Second Life. I didn't know we could teach in Second Life. And what I've really appreciated is that I think you can access it at a variety of, of levels. So for me, as an instructor, I'm happy that I can occasionally stand at the podium without falling over with my <laughs> avatar, right? Um, and then when I present with Andy, which is always fun, he's doing things like pulling tight, tr- turning into a tiger or setting something on fire. And that's really fun, um, you know, in a fun, enjoyable way, of course. But I feel so like that's a tell, tiger on fire. I think you got to tell the, the fire story because okay. our, our listeners are not going to know what that means. And I think they deserve to know. OK, well, okay. well, what can we hold that out as maybe like a little carrot um, for people to stick around sure. to hear the whole thing? But I was going to say with with audience members, it's similar too, right? Like you can have audience members that just are happy that they got into the auditorium and they're viewing the slide. And then you have people who are much more proficient, who are not necessarily setting things on fire, but who are interacting with their environment in a really sophisticated way. So I like that it it meets people at the level that they're at. I think too, and I I don't mean to answer a question that was meant for Jenna and, and Corinne necessarily, but... To me, that it's exciting to see people get in there and really kind of embrace it. Like we often have people who are a little hesitant or not sure about this, but they really need the CEs or this is the you know the the next best time to learn the topic that's being presented. And so they kind of hesitantly or and very tentatively sign up for it. And by the end of it, they're really excited. And this is you know this is like the best way to do workshops. And that's that's great. And I'm and I. I'm kind of sitting there thinking to myself, but man, wait till you see what else is out there because parking your avatar in a chair for two days is not the coolest thing we can do here. You know, like we, we can do that, what we just did in this workshop, we can do that in zoom, but man, can we just, can we show you what else we can do in this space? You know, I think we should say that no, no avatars were virtually injured in the <laughs> auditorium fire that I started. Um, Yeah. One of the things you can do in Second Life is get all sorts of interesting um, heads up displays and and, uh, costumes and things. And so I might have been fooling around with my dark force lightning powers in the auditorium uh, during a rehearsal. Uh, But we can assure you that if you check out one of our other affordances or other uh, assets in Second Life, you will not, uh, your avatar will not be set on fire. Everyone's safe. Can we really promise that? I don't know that we can promise that. I I can promise that I I won't be there with my force lightning HUD on setting things on fire. Okay. So the best part of this story though, is that um, I kind of get this, this, I kind of get this this message from Andy out of the blue. I'm working on something else. And he was like, um, Hey, something (laughs) happened. In Second Life, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know, like we lost something, something disappeared or you know, like the ground swallowed things. I don't know, whatever. And he says, you, can you come in and take a look? And so I go in and I'm like, what? There's nothing. He's like, I kind of set the place on fire. <laughs> like he was, what's really cool is Second Life really is a persistent environment, right? So changes or interactions that are made in a space stay. And, and for anybody else to log in and see them later. The cool thing was, is his force lightning fire didn't burn anything down. But it was it, to me, it was kind of like this cool thing about Andy was really connected to the space like this. This was really a, a real experience for him. And I think that's what's cool is that it's all virtual. It's in the computer. But these are real experiences for people. So anyway, it was it was fun. Dr. Holly I had to reassure him. The, the, and, and you are the master of the reframe. Thank you for not firing me. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, you know, along with that is 
you can do things in Second Life that you might not be able to do or be able to get away with um, for good or for <laughs> evil in real life. And that's one of the things that I think makes some of the experiences that we have available, for example, in the PTSD Museum and Operation Avatar and this museum really interesting. So um, I'd love to hear from from you, Jenna, and you, Corinne, some of the things, and you, Kevin, too, I guess you can talk if, if, if you've got more to say about it. Um, some of the unique... So much more to say. Yeah, some of the unique experiences that uh, our listeners might be able to access and play around with in some of our other assets. Well, and, I, and I think one important thing to mention is that we, like, we were kind of talking more about where we train and setting that training environment on fire, but, but having good experiences in with those trainings and having um, our participants really enjoy the space, let us, that sort of what we were talking about earlier, let us to think about like, how else can we use this space? How else can we, what else can we do with this to help our learners really engage with content? And so we created these two islands, I guess we call them, um, these two spaces. One is really centered around PTSD and one is really centered around sleep problems, um, which, you know, we call this museum and the PTSD. What do we call the PTSD? Virtual PTSD. Virtual PTSD it's really experience. not as creative as museums. Museums a great name. And, and, and I'm not going to go, you know, in depth about the development of those, but, you know, we're really, we tried to think about if we could set up experiences for people to go through and engage with content, what would be really useful for those two topics? Um, and, you know, Corinne ha- was really kind of steeped in this, in the sleep side of the house and, and Andy and Kevin much more so in the PTSD side. I was, I was kind of more on the periphery, but. Um, you were testing in quality control. <clears throat> the whole goal was to really be thoughtful about we have adult learners who are going to learn better if they engage uh, actively with content. So you can talk about assessment, um, but then if you can have somebody actually sort of go through a space and see how somebody's symptoms play out um, and identify them in that moment, that might really reinforce some of the learning in a different way than just presenting it on a slide or talking it through. Um, and so that was that was the idea too, is to give our our learners, our, our participants, you know, you and our CDP community access to asynchronous, learning on your own, you know, re-engaging with this content in a fun, you know, kind of interactive, cool way. So I'll I'll, I'll leave that there. And I don't know if Corinne wants to say anything more about that or talk about Snoozium. I'm happy to talk about it. I was just thinking, though, um, specifically about the ways that we, we sort of use these spaces to expand upon what we're doing in our workshops. And um, so often when we're, we're talking about dissemination and training, um, our participants say, and I think reasonably so, they're, they're like drinking from a fire hose when they're going through a two-day workshop or a one-day workshop or even a four-hour workshop. There's so much information to take in. Um, so that's, that's one place where I think these environments are really helpful, that it gives folks... Um, extra opportunity to revisit the information. I think it also, I know that it also gives folks an opportunity to revisit the information in a different way. And for many of us, especially adult learners, we learn a lot better when we're doing things experientially, not just sitting and listening, not just reading a slide. And so thinking about the environments that we have and how interactive they are and taking learning to a deeper level is really exciting for me um, to talk about. And I guess I could just start talking about how that plays out in this museum. Um, 
So as, as you said, this museum is kind of the sleep side, the sleep disorders side of our, our islands here. Um, and we put together, I think, a really immersive experience where participants can come in, whether you are brand new to learning about sleep disorder assessment and treatment, or whether you've done some of it before. I think we've put together a really great selection of items that, that help further your knowledge, uh, no matter where you're at. Um, starting from kind of the interactive experience of just seeing what a deployed setting sleep situation looks like, sleeping in the barracks, what that looks like and why it might not be conducive to sleep for folks, for a military population. And taking, having an opportunity to actually score a sleep diary, not just watching me score it and talk you through it, but actually getting in there yourself, making mistakes, figuring out how to apply what you learned in the workshop, and then getting immediate feedback about whether you added the numbers correctly or not, whether you added the right numbers or not. Getting that immediate feedback, I think, just takes the learning to such a deeper level. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to offer that to participants. That uh, interactivity and the immediate feedback in an immersive environment and really getting your hands dirty with some of these skills is something that I think is really cool and really unique, especially in um, in a virtual, you know, non in person type environment. Um, so, really interesting stuff, Kevin. You know, are there things like that available in the PTSD museum um, and some of the other things we have going on on PTSD Island? Yeah, and, and in fact, you know, that's to me that's again one of the most important things. Just what Corinne and Jenna already said that the interactivity, the the experiential learning that helps us as adults really kind of learn at a deeper level, I think, and in a way that's more memorable, where we're going to recall our experiences. When we when we built the PTSD space, um, one of the things that was really inspiring, uh, to be honest, was this other space that had existed in Second Life years before. So Dr. Peter Yellowlees at UC Davis, he's a psychiatrist, and he had created a space in Second Life called the Virtual Hallucination. And so he was trying to teach his, his med students uh, with a psychiatry emphasis. He wanted to teach them about psychosis and what that experience was like so they could have some empathy, but also kind of think about how to apply that to treating uh, their, their patients. And so he had built an environment in Second Life that as you're walking through it, the, the environment is, is acting as though you yourself are experiencing hallucinations. And he validated this with a lot of psychotic patients and such. And so, you know, there were delusions of reference and there was uh, hallucinated voices and there, you know, there's all sorts of very, very interesting experiences, really kind of low tech by Second Life uh, standards now, but was really, really impactful. And so we were kind of thinking like, that's really cool. Wouldn't it be great if we could teach providers who are treating PTSD, what that experience is like for somebody with PTSD? What is it like to have these symptoms? How does one even acquire PTSD? And so you, you can't do this in a you know face-to-face -face workshop necessarily. You can't necessarily do this even with uh, video or reading about stuff. So what we really want to do is take somebody into the head, if you will, of somebody with PTSD, have them have an experience as though you know, they had PTSD themselves. And of course, you know, it's not replacing real life experience, but it's simulated to try to help a person develop that sense of empathy and that sense of what that experience is like. So in the PTSD Island, for example, we've got some displays about what PTSD is and gold standard treatments and, and how to assess for it with, you know, 
uh, standardized instruments. But the real, the big piece of it over there is we, we call it Operation Avatar. You can call it a game if you like, but it, really the experience is that you're kind of stepping into the person of a service member who experienced a trauma while deployed. And then what, how does that show up in their life? And so with the intent of both, you know, kind of seeing it from the eyes of a therapist, how do we assess this? What are the ways that these symptoms show up, but also seeing it from the eyes of the client, the patient as a way to, you know, develop some of that empathy, get a sense for what it is like to be that person to help them to, to recover and to, you know, function again. So it's, it's a, to me, it's fun, but, that's because I'm nerdy, but I think it's also really cool that you know it's engaging in a way that we just can't do in any other format. I have to say that I was not involved at all on the PTSD side of things in developing this. So I visited Project Avatar after it was up and running for a while, and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know a ton about it. And it was so engaging that I really expect, I anticipated to log on for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I had just like a few minutes with nothing to do. And the next thing I knew, I was in there for like 45 minutes, not realizing that time had passed, that I was super engaged with this experience. Kevin, you called it fun. I actually, (laughs) I didn't find it as fun because it was so realistic that I really was like kind of tense and on edge going through the mission. Um, and so it was very, it is very engaging. I think that's, I gotta say, that's, that's really, um, I guess encouraging because kind of that, that's the point. A lot of people, a lot of people, you will start with learning bits. You will watch a video, whatever. And then we put it down. We we walk away. If we can keep people stuck to something long enough to get the message, I think that's a win. Andy, I know you're kind of asking a lot of questions, but you were so heavily involved with that. Do you have anything you want to say about Project Avatar to include what it actually stands for? But what what anything you wanted to share about that? Because, you know, a lot of it's your voice. Yeah, so it was really an interesting project to work on. In fact, uh, when when I interviewed at CDP, one of the things that really enticed me about coming to work for the center was Kevin talking about, you know, he was starting this project and we're going to be developing this island. And I thought that sounded really interesting. One of the things I think is really, really cool and really engaging about Operation Avatar. And by the way, that's an acronym for a virtual allegory of trauma and recovery. Mm-hmm. And we call, you know, the, the, the person you inhabit in Second Life, your avatar. So there's a little bit of a, a dual meaning there. What was really interesting about developing the project is we really had to think through essentially what Operation Avatar is, is taking a virtual veteran named John through several days in his life, a day where he experiences a traumatic event when he's deployed, a day when he's kind of just going throughout his day, you know, waking up in the morning, walking around his house, going to the mall and seeing how his life has changed after experiencing trauma. And you can actually see when he approaches certain stimuli in the environment, how he starts to experience symptoms. And part of what you do as you kind of, you know, guide, you know, John through his experience of the day is you have to start to notice and be able to cat, uh, categorize the symptoms he's experiencing. So it's, it's sort of in vivo training and assessment, if you want to think about it that way, but also seeing how you know, if someone had PTSD, they might be reacting to just sort of everyday situations and things that might happen. And then afterwards, 
the third part of it is taking John back through his day after he's been through treatment and hopefully has had some success. And then you get to revisit all these places, people, things, and see maybe how life has changed for him. You know, he's certainly not 100% better and perfect, but you can start to see how those symptoms may have changed. So it's a really nice way of going through the whole story of how someone might experience trauma, how it might impact them right then, how it affects them afterwards, and how in their recovery things might look for them in a, in a way that's much different, I think, than reading about this in a book or hearing somebody talk about it. You actually get to sort of be in there and get a sense of it. And it sounds like we did a good, good job because, you know, unfortunately, fortunately, Corinne said it was pretty intense for her going through. And I think you really do get a flavor for it. There's some similar stuff in this museum, too. Corinne, there are, there are, yeah, I think we um, similarly tried to get a, a kind of final exercise that a comprehensive exercise that pulled all of people's individual or, or assessment and intervention skills into one exercise. So we have the sleep clinic uh, in the basement of this museum. And when you visit the, the sleep clinic, you as the therapist get to interview um, and assess Captain Jenkins, who's uh, programmed to respond to your questions and your interventions. So you walk through a full sleep assessment with Captain Jenkins, and then you start to make a differential diagnosis. And then I don't, I don't want to give anything away, right? I want people to go into the sleep clinic. So I won't tell you what his potential sleep disorder is. But once you figure that out through your assessment process, then you can start offering interventions and you'll get feedback from him on how it's working, whether uh, he followed the instructions or not, um, whether his sleep improved or not, whether you want to change the interventions at all. So it's definitely uh, engaging. Now, I, I didn't feel as tense going through Captain Jenkins <laughs> experience, um, but, you know, maybe because there's no fires or explosions going on in the in the office. He doesn't but catch I still, on fire at the end. He, I don't want to give anything away, Kevin. I don't want to give anything away. Um, but certainly I think you get a really good feel for how you differentiate between different diagnoses and what interventions you might deliver and how an actual patient might respond to them, which as we know, is not always totally agreeable. So I think it's about time for some actionable intel. We've talked a little bit about how we develop these projects and how we've used them and they're there for folks to visit. What might be a couple of pieces of actionable intel, things that uh, our listeners can do even today if they have time to start taking advantage of and learning in these virtual environments? Well, I think that one of the first things is to, to recognize that these environments are available to the public and free. And so we invite you to come take a look. Uh, you know, we're not making any money off this. We just, we, we're trying to disseminate great information. So the way to, to start is to go to secondlife.com and, and make a free account um, and then download the viewer. So the viewer is like the application that you kind of interact with the environment and much like a web browser is used to, to get on the internet and look at web pages, you need to download and install a, a viewer that's also free. Um, and then uh, we'll put links in the show notes about how do you get to these environments. But, you know, I'll, I'll say I'm really quickly here. So I've made tiny URLs, so it's easier. Tinyurl.com slash VPTSD. So that stands for virtual PTSD. And then tinyurl.com slash snoozeum, S-N-O-O-Z-E-U-M. The idea is that these tiny URLs will take you to what looks like a map um, through Second Life, and it'll 
in many ways kind of communicate to your viewing application that that's where you want to go. So when you sign in, that's where you show up and, you know, go check it out, go visit, go kind of wander through. If you'd like, if you've got questions, please contact us. We'd have, you, as you can tell, we can talk about this forever. Um, we're getting kind of the, the signals from our, uh, from our producer kind of like, like wind this down. This is getting long. I can talk forever. So send me an email. I'd be happy to answer questions, but also too, if you want like a, a tour, uh, or some assistance or something, let us know. We'd be happy to meet you in Second Life and kind of wander through and show you what's going around, going on in there. Maybe we can even put a couple like screenshots in with the show notes too, so people can see kind of what it looks like if they if they can't go. I thought you were going to say we could also set things on fire if that gets you in, if that's something <laughs> that you want. Absolutely. And you want that as part Clearly. of your schedule with Andy. So Clearly Andy will not be doing the. He'll be doing the very exciting, enhanced tour. Right. Decide who you want to sign up for a tour with what level of second life experience you want. But with that in mind, I would say like, just to add Kevin to what you were saying that um, even if you're just going to log in for 10 minutes, log in for 10 minutes, like bump into things, even if you're not familiar with second life, um, bump into things, play with things. And you might realize that uh, like me, you end up in there a lot longer than, than you expected to, but start, start with just a few minutes to check things out. I want to throw one into the other, the other um, thing that we think this could be really useful for is, you know, we, we use it for our teaching, but you can too. So if you're faculty yeah. or you're teaching a class or, um, you know, you teach abnormal psychology and you want your students to get a good sense of what some of these, uh, what some of these disorders look like in this virtual environment, please, again, um, you know, we, we don't want to sound like we're selling something because we're not, because it's free. We, we created this space and we want people to take advantage of it. So um, think about integrating it into your training. We're very interested in working with uh, institutions to try and have this space used for, for all sorts of learners, not just professionals, you know, psychologists and social workers, but grad students or undergrad students, things like that. So yeah, any, any other thoughts, Jenna, Andy, Corinne, thank you for joining us, Corinne. This has been a fun conversation. Thank you for having me. Always glad to join you guys. All right. See, and we'll, we'll come back another time. That's a promise right there. I'll take it. All right. It. See, that's yeah, nothing else that it, hooks folks. people in. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Definitely check it out. Yeah. And we'll see you in the virtual world. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.